Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome back, and uh, thanks very much for listening. We've been having a very interesting show today. It's it's great to have so much innovation and so many guests that give our listeners ideas. And if you're a listener out there, I'll bet you're thinking, you know, I know uh, I want to grow my business, and I need some ideas about that. Um, and, you know, one of the questions, is success really possible? And our next guest is going to answer that question. He's Steve Smith. He's here from Growth Source Coaching in Lake Forest, California, right down the street. And we're going to talk about a growth model called M3, which aligns the three most essential aspects of business building with the targeted end results. So it's a specific coaching strategy. And Steve, welcome to the show. Bill, thanks for having me today. It's a real pleasure. You know, it's uh, it's always great to have people that can talk to our listeners about growth and growing their business. And a lot of our, our listeners are age 50 plus business owners, and they might be a little tired. And they might yeah. be, you know, they've been running it. The economy's been tough, and it's just been a tough struggle. And so we want to talk about some things that will help them to grow their business. So tell us a little bit about your background and what you brought you into this profession, and then we'll get into that. Well, I have the dubious distinction of having been in business for 35 years now. Uh, the first 25 of that was working in the consumer packaged foods industry, um, nationally recognized manufacturers of all things you can buy in grocery stores, uh, General Mills, Lysol. Uh, at one point, I was with a small pharmaceutical company, but they all had the same thing in mind, and it was distributing and advertising and marketing products in all the various outlets that you would normally go to buy those things. So I learned a tremendous amount about good, you know, good business practices, whether it be management, marketing, operations, people development, all the essentials that a small business owner needs to, to, to run something that's vibrant and growing that they don't have to have their hands on all the time. Very competitive world. Very Absolutely. Consumer products. And, you know, I always, you know, it's, it's, it's like, one guy goes in there, puts the stuff on the shelf, and then the next guy comes along and pushes that to the back and pushes their, pulls their product. You have to really be on the ball constantly with that type of thing. You know what? The the fights that took place in the cereal aisle are legendary. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. You know, it's it's really is. It's com- you know, and we all have competitive businesses. Everybody's competing out there for for business owners. So let's talk about the drift that business owners go through what causes a business owner to to what we would call drift from being doing great to maybe not you know not doing that well anymore most of the time what happens is uh, depending on when the business owner gets involved whether they purchase an existing business or they start one for themselves they they naturally get hung up in that euphoria of gee i have a business and of course, bootstrapping, as you know, as you know, is tough. But for many people, it's kind of an exciting change. You're getting into new things. You're developing something. You're trying to get the word out on the street that you now have a business. At some point, the business starts to grow. It may grow by itself. They may have gotten into a market that's underserved, and people are now taking notice. And what causes the drift 
is when the business owner finally wakes up to the idea that the business has gotten out of control. They've lost control of where it's going because they're spending all their time doing everything as opposed to looking forward and saying, how can I build this up to be bigger than myself? Bring the right people on at the right time and and leverage that so that they're not in the thick of it doing it all 24-7. Because after a while, I mean, you can be very healthy and very athletic. It wears you down. Right. And where it wears you down first is up here in the head. And so when people start getting mentally weary because they're, they realize they're in a situation they can't get out of, and they're now working far harder than they ever did, sometimes at minimum wage because of what they're making, it causes them to start drifting because they're like, gee, how do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the biggest problems that I address with clients is trying to get them navigated back on that track that they started with, you know, about what, what's the ultimate vision? What were you trying to do when you started all this? Mm-hmm. And a lot of our business owners, uh, at least a lot of my clients over the years have have done it to themselves. They yes. basically, they started off with a, a, a workable to-do list, a workable task list. And right out of the gate, they were probably doing things they shouldn't have been doing. Yes. And then they started adding to that list. And then pretty soon that to-do list is just, they don't like looking at that anymore. And I'll bet there's a lot of people listening right now that are saying, I hate my to-do list. It's just a bunch of BS and I can't really get to the things that matter anymore. So why don't more business owners delegate and what can we do to, what, what, can, what do you do to help them? Well, the reason most people don't, don't delegate is because they usually don't have enough resources or connections around them to figure out who to delegate to. Um, one of the things that I've developed in my own practice is a fairly large resource list of, of other businesses that I've vetted. So now clients will just say, well, tell me who I should go to for this service or this support or whatever. And what it tells me is they haven't spent the time building their own resource list of bookkeepers and accountants and CPAs and lawyers and and people that can do a lot of the things that they're not equipped to do, but they've just brought it into their circle and gotten their arms around it. And now they're kind of saddled with having to be responsible for it. And is part of that also that they they just haven't um, trusted somebody to do it or or you know a lot of times i hear this steve is like they'll say by the time i tell them how to do it i'll just have done it so i'm just gonna do it right yes well (laughs) Well, and and okay so that's a great point because delegation a lot of times get confused which means i give it over to somebody else and i can't touch it anymore and what i teach people is delegation doesn't mean you've given over oversight or the ultimate control of decisions as to where it goes. It just means you get a lot of the heavy lifting to other folks who like doing that kind of thing. You still are tethered to them in terms of the reporting back to you, what they provide in terms of what you're paying for the service. So you always have the control over what they do and, and, and how it influences your business. You don't let that go. But a lot of people that have never grown up in a, in a, in a job or a business where they've been taught how to delegate, they don't understand what delegation really is. So th- to your point, I don't want to lose control. I have to keep it all myself. And that that's why they don't offload it to other folks. And I, what I think I hear you saying is delegation is not just telling someone to do something. It's creating a process for them to follow and report back that so Absolutely. it's done correctly. Absolutely. And that's the hard part. It's not – the hard part is, you know, you got to build out a process even – the franchises, like the, the the gentleman we were just talking with, talks about franchises. Well, everything's a process in a franchise. They went through all that work to build that franchise book out. 
Right. And would you say that a lot of business owners could use their own franchise book, even if they're not a franchise, just a one a, um, a process the, book? The big thing I think franchising has done for the business world, it has inserted the, the, the need for processes and everything you do, repeatable systems that you can teach somebody else to do, offload it, and then reserve your time for that oversight and you know what kind of performance is taking place. But you're not actually having to tell them every step of the way. If you're doing that, it's because you don't have a written down process that you can teach someone else how to do. So it brings up an interesting point and it just came to me, but what's the difference between the owner of a franchise that has all those processes and the owner of a business that's grown up around the owner where they're just crazy busy doing all kinds of stuff? What's the mentality of those two people uh, how are they different? Uh, one one is truly the owner because the processes are getting done by the employees. The other one's just got a crazy job description. Is that okay? <laughs> yes. You know, I look at it this way: in the in the business owner world, if you break it down, you have two two different types of folks underneath that umbrella. You've got the business operator, which is a perfect example of a franchise owner. They've already been given the structure, that business in a box, the policies, the processes, things like that. They're just there to make sure they get done as efficiently and as quickly and as profitably as possible. So they're managing an operation. On the other side, you've got the entrepreneur, the guy that had an idea and decided to build a business around it and hopefully the thing would take off. Those folks still need to incorporate a lot of the operational disciplines that a franchise brings brings to the party, but they've got the added... Uh, burden, if you will, of having to make decisions about when and how and which one to do and where to invest the money and what decisions to make about expansion and things like that. I mean, they're in the they're in the corner office. There's nobody else to go to. They are the ones that have to make those decisions. A lot of times in franchises, some of those decisions are kind of baked into the process. So in that entrepreneur business model, one of the things missing I hear a lot is time. The owner's just, I don't have any time to do all this kind of stuff because everything's not built out properly. Right. So what what could an owner do if they had it built out properly with that extra time? What kinds of things could they spend their day uh, thinking about as far as being an owner, the real owner of a business? Um, depending on the size and the shape of the business, and I'll just throw out an example. Let's say you have a business that you've got a team of people working for you, Okay. If you've got that extra time, there's two things you should be spending the majority of that, other than whatever personal things you like to get involved in that get you away from the business. But the two things are marketing mm -hmm. and people development. Mm -hmm. And I, I liken it to professional sports teams where they have guys that go out and do nothing but recruit all year long. It doesn't matter if you're in season or not. They're constantly looking for talent. Good business owners will always be on the lookout for good talent mm -hmm. because when you have a, a hole you know, a, a slot to fill, it doesn't necessarily mean that the right talent is out there just waiting for you to pick them up. So between talent development and marketing that business, those are those places you will never lose if you stay focused on them and you know what you're doing. Oh, that's a great point. So you heard it. Basically, you should be spending more time on marketing and business development as the owner, not doing the stuff that other people can be doing. And right. that's why you hire people like Steve to come in as a coach, because he can help look from the outside and say, I can see right now from the outside, your swing does not look right if you're a golfer. And I can see three things right now that we can fix that's going to save you some strokes 
And in business world, I can see I can see several things right now that we're going to save time and be able to put more time into those high priority tasks. Right? Absolutely. That's the single biggest advantage to having someone outside your business. I don't necessarily need to know how to run your operation or, your, or the, the business yeah. discipline you're in. That actually is a detractor because I will tend to get sucked into the same things that you're being drugged into the hole about. It's better if I'm somewhat detached and I can look objectively at everything's going on because I will pick up those things much quicker than somebody who's living with them every single day and has kind of lost that focus. Yeah, operations and their their routine from company to company almost. There are certain processes and systems that need to be in place. You can take almost any business and when you scrape away the product or service that they provide, the name, the yep. location, all this, it, the essentials of the structure of running a good business are almost identical. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, are there there are a lot of business situations out there, especially professional businesses and technical businesses, where the owner should not be thinking about delegating all the tasks, but maybe building. Uh, structure around themselves as a specialist. So can you give us some, give us some examples of that? Yes. Um, if you run an IT business, and, and I've had clients in the past who were kind of in this situation where they, they not only went out and did the cold calling, you know, they serviced the client, they, they, had the, they had the intellectual knowledge and the expertise to deliver on the service. And while that was good at the very beginning, it was a huge albatross around their neck because what they were really faced with is, how do I duplicate myself? And for a lot of business owners, that's the feeling. Whether, in fact, that's reality or not, that's what goes through their head. I need six more people like me if I'm going to get this business up to the, the size and scope that I'm looking for. That's all the, also the fallacy because most of what you know how to do today, you learn from someone else somewhere along the line. Right. You either went and got professional training for it, you worked for some other business and, and learned it on the job. So if you learned it, you can teach other people to do the same thing. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that is a problem we hear a lot from people is that I am the business is built around me and my skills. So that individual has a real problem in the future when it's time to think about selling that business because it's really you're selling yourself if the business is all about yes. you, right? And that's that, a problem. That's a big paradox for a lot of businesses because if you're starting your own business, you are the business. So you're marketing yourself especially in this relationship economy and we're in where people want to know you and trust you before they're going to do business with you. So you're doing that to build yourself and get yourself up the ground. And at some point soon after that, you're faced with, okay, now how do I offload the people that I've brought on and done business with and develop those relationships with to somebody that I've just brought on to help me out? And You know, I, I would say that there's probably a large number of people in that situation, Stephen, and it's okay. They, they can come to grips with that, but they just have to realize that they're going to have to self-fund their buyout and their retirement, and they should be harvesting as much as possible as they go and using retirement plans and things like that to build their own equity because the business for itself is probably not going to sell for, for what they really need. They're, they're going to have to self-fund that along. And that's okay. Just come into grips with that, right? Right. Um, most people that I work with now um, start out with this notion that I'll run the business for 20 years, I'll sell it, and that's going to provide my retirement and what I live on and everything. So if I don't make any money now, that's okay because I'm going to have this big business at the end of 20 years and I'm going to sell it. And unfortunately, they don't actually think strategically enough about what that business has to look like for it to be marketable and what they should really be doing in terms of their own wealth management along the way so that they're guaranteed that they actually have something left over 
when the day comes to offload it to another interested buyer that wants to take over and run it on their behalf. Yeah, I've had business owners that the best thing they ever did was to buy the building uh, in an LLC individually and rent the building back for themselves. And at least the building's going to be worth something at the end of the Absolutely. day. Absolutely. You know, that real estate. But the, the business itself, and then it's going to be highly dependent on continuing to run as an ongoing operation after they've stepped out if they are able to sell it. And that's another problem. Well, and and one of the things I've, I've counseled businesses on, sometimes you're I, I come to the game later and I really don't have the ability to influence this, but if somebody's at the very forefront of putting a business together and they're thinking about a name, first thing I tell them is do not name it yourself. Yes. Because at some point when you're trying to sell this thing, you're, you don't want to have to find another Steve Smith. You need to find somebody who can walk in and identify with what the business does and be able to assume it under the name that is marketable without having a face around it. Yeah, law firms are famous for that, consulting firms. Yes. And a lot of it's a lot of it's uh, recognition that you are the business, and it's just telling the world that. And that's why you'll see a lot of businesses change their names to initials yes. you know, or, or create a different persona without changing it too much. Absolutely. That's the transition is underway. There's your sign. <laughs> the other thing that I think a lot of people neglect, and they really need to spend a lot of time developing it, and it's their customer database. Because when yeah. you sell your business at some point in the future to somebody off the street who's expected to come in and take over the reins, there's two things they're looking for most of the time. How well-developed is the database? Can I turn around and start selling maybe other related products to these folks? And are there processes in place so that I know what I'm doing once I get the keys to the front door? And if those two areas aren't really, really well-defined, you're going to have trouble unloading that entity that you've created and worked for all these years. That's a great tip. And for a lot of our listeners that are a little older, maybe they got to the database game late, and they think, well, it's just like a Rolodex. It's, it's not. Yes. It's it, not cue cards anymore. Right. It, it, it's a record of what your customers have bought, what they're likely to buy in the future. When you fill those databases of today, they are smart, and they will tell they're a whole system for for knowing exactly when to get in touch with people again when you build them out so spend time on and energy on that absolutely steve how do people uh get in touch with you how would our listeners get in touch and what would you offer them um the best way to get in touch with me is just to call my office directly Uh, that number is 949-951-9163 i offer business owners who are thinking about getting help and just want to get an idea of what it's all about i offer them a three uh, a free 30-minute consultation and what i'm really trying to do for me is figure out whether we're a match because there are business situations that I can't do anything about. Uh, but most of the time, um, I give them a, an assessment of where they are and what they need to be looking for. And if they want to engage me to help them out, I'm more than happy to do it. If they want to take what they've learned and go somewhere else, they're free to do that as well. Uh, the whole coaching engagement is like a relationship. Mm-hmm. And you've got to actually want to engage it or it's not going to work. Real quick before we go, the M3, what does the M3 stand for? M3 stands for the three most critical areas that I found that help a business realign themselves and start growing. It's your mindset, it's your management, and it's your marketing. And if those three are lined up with the end result you're looking for, a lot of other things will take care of themselves. But if one or all of those three are kind of off in left field someplace, you will struggle. And you'll continue to struggle until you figure out how to get those three in sync with what you what the business stands for and you where you want it to be five, ten years from now. 
It's a great tip, Steve. Steve Smith from Growth Source Con- Coaching. I hope you'll come back and join us and, and talk more about this because I really I'll be glad to. Thanks one for of the having more me today. Lively interviews that we've had here, and there's you know I'm so passionate about this because I see so many business owners struggling with these issues, and it's great to to be able to call on someone like Steve, and he has a uh, actually has an advice service called Ask Steve too. So Ask Steve, give him a call. Uh, what do you have to lose? You're listening to ExitCoachRadio.com, the information station for age 50-plus business owners, where we're interviewing over 250 top advisors for their best tips, ideas, and precautions so you can be well-planned. We upload new one-minute tips every day. ExitCoachRadio.com. Come listen for a minute. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 